So we've been in John chapter 1. We are now done with the, the intro or the outline or the synopsis or that, that, that prologue of the first 18 verses um, where John has said, okay, here's what I'm going to write about. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Now let's get moving. So now we're moving into the portion of this book that is considered by most as a, as a kind of a title idea, um, the, the, the physical ministry or the signs of the Messiah, the things that pointed to him and the things that he does physically. Um, and then you conclude, that goes all the way through chapter 12, and then you conclude the book, 13 through 20, with um, the narrative of Jesus, the teachings, the words that he uses. And then 21 is kind of a, is a closing chapter. Um, and so, as we move into this section, we'll, we'll be taking off some big chunks this week and next week. Today we're going to work on um, verses 19 through 34. And next week we're going to do 35 through 51. So next week will be a two-hour service, at least. <laughs> but let's let's go ahead and read this text, and then um, have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it. So John 1.19. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they asked him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who have sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the one, I am the voice, sorry, of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. We read that earlier in chapter 1. Verse 31. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from the heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Father God, thank you so much for what you're going to teach us today. Let us be focused on your word and on nothing else for just a few minutes. Help us to uh, to, to, to just... To just to just dive in here and, and, and just eat up this cool passage that you have put in front of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's get the scene. Let's set the scene. John, the crazy guy, right? I told you last week we'd have locusts and honey. I couldn't find any locust vendors. And so I had to fail on that one. But uh, I would have eaten one in front of you, especially if it made any of you gag. I would have definitely done it. Um, but uh, John is, is this guy out in the woods, out in the woods, in the wilderness, who's surviving on locust and honey. He's wearing animal furs, which were, were not trendy. Uh, Peter was not happy about it, and they were getting on him about it. But uh, he was out there doing it anyway. 
And he was this guy that was just out in the desert telling people, hey, there's somebody coming. The Messiah's coming. I'm getting you ready for the Messiah. Well, why John the Baptist? Why this man that took up baptizing? Well, because God had chosen him. And we're going to see that in just a minute when we take about who he is. But what happens here is amazing to me. So I, I had this idea, and I, and I tried to make it work with things we had in the church, and it, it just looked stupid, so I put it all away, um, was to set up the, the look of a courtroom. So we're going to kind of take this and look at it a little bit like a trial here. Because that's what happens. When they send these guys out to John, they're coming after him. The priests and the Levites are coming after him. And so he's out here, and, and John is, is now the defendant at this trial, this mock trial they're having in the wilderness. And the, the, the Pharisees, surprise, surprise, right? The Pharisees have gotten some guys to go bother him and question him so, because they're not getting the attention. You know, <laughs> you know people like that? Um, so they say, all right, you go persecute him, prosecute him, go after him. They were the inquiring minds that want to know. Right? Remember that? Inquire. Is that what that's called, right? Inquire magazine? Inquiring minds want to know. That's what they were. They were hired guns, and, uh, and so they, they're going out there, and they start this questioning of, of John. So that's the scene. That's really the scene. He's got these people following him. He's, he's doing nothing wrong. He's doing, the only thing he's doing wrong is he's outside the norm of what they wanted. Sometimes I wish the church was, right? Um, and so they come after him. So let's, let's break this down, and we'll look at it just a little bit like it is a, a trial. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John, who went, who, who the Jews, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? The baptizer was drawing large crowds. Say, okay, he's got this background of society. He's, he's drawing these, these very large crowds in here. And the Jerusalem authorities are keeping an eye on him. It's watchdog idea. They, they're, they're, they're honing in on him. And they're worried about his influence, and they're worried about what he's doing to people. But at the same time, they're looking for a Messiah. So there actually might be a little bit of innocence in some of these guys, in some of this questioning, because they're all looking for this, this king to come. And so they come asking John, is it, is it him? Is this the guy? We've got to pay attention. He is out here um, um, putting together a ministry that, that looks like maybe what the Messiah is going to look like. I wonder how powerful he is. I wonder who he's got following him. I think these are probably other questions that were going on at the time. And they're, they're looking for him. But why him? Who was he? Well, let's just talk about who John was. John's parents were Zechariah the priest, and his mother was, his dad was Zechariah, his mother was Elizabeth. These were two people that were pursuing God obediently in their lives. Elizabeth was prayerfully begging God for a child. She had gotten older and was barren. And Zechariah was in the temple burning incense, and he's praying to God, can you just do this for us? And he gets visited by an angel. If you know the story, it's kind of he kind of got smart with this angel. He's like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. So the angel struck him mute and de- and, 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 until the baby was born. And so, gotcha. Um, thank you for not doing that anymore, Lord. Um, I would not be happy, um, nor would my family. They'd be upset if I was mute. Um, easy. It's not that fun. Um, but so Zechariah prayed, and Luke 1 actually tells us the story. It's beautiful. This, it says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have 
joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him with the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the, the, the Lord a people prepared. Wow. I know. I know. As a parent, I might get scared by an angel. But I wish they'd tell me something like that. Wouldn't you like to hear that? Wouldn't it be easy? I think it'd be easy to give grace if you knew, well, I know we messed up. But y'all want to know what he's going to (laughs) do? That'd be pretty amazing. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they get the opportunity to raise John, who is going to be a man possessed by the Holy Spirit to, to do the work similar to the work of Elijah. How much more could they have asked for? So he's out here living this missional wilderness life Telling people about Jesus. And so they ask him, who are you? Now, John, John very easily could have given them that story, what I just gave you. Well, I'm Zechariah's son. They would have probably said, we know, because we've spied on you for this long. Well, Elizabeth, well, we know, because we know everything, except for who you really are. We know who you claim to be. So verse 20, he says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He knew immediately what was going on here. He knew immediately where they were coming from. He said, John, John, I'm, I'm John, the guy in the skins. I'm not the Messiah you're looking for. So then the ensuing conversation here is, is written, like I said, and described much like this court scene. He's being interrogated. It's not, he doesn't just answer the questions about who he is. He emphatically wants people to know who he is not. I want us to understand that because I was recently reading a book on um, on David Koresh. And this author went into to some things and he, he says, he compares, um, there's a historian who wrote about John the Baptist and said that he was, he actually claimed to be Christ. And this, this, this book said, what's so amazing is with all of these other people who have come out and been radically weird, different, really outskirt kind of guys. I mean, David Koresh is pretty outskirt in Waco, Texas. Right? I mean, we know that. They all claim to be Christ. So if someone says to me, well, John the Baptist is just a crazy man yelling in the wilderness, how could he ever add up? I'm like, maybe, but he didn't claim to be Christ. I think it's so important that we realize he is fighting here to make sure that people know who he is and more importantly, who he is not. They're looking at this, this Old Testament prophets, and they're looking for the son of David, the greater David. And John says, it's not me. Wait, I'll tell you. They don't wait. They say, well, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Question and answer, and question and answer. So it's, there's four questions and four answers. Emphatically, they want to know who he is. They're scared, for one, probably by the Pharisees who sent them. They're like, hey, guys, listen. You don't understand who we're working for here. We need to know. And they're, they're, they're pursuing him. And, and they're trying to figure this out. 
And he says to them, here we go, here's the crux, guys, of this portion of this, of this text. And it's verse 23. He says, I, gosh, what an answer. I am the voice. I love that he says, I am the voice. Because John 1.1 1, 1 says that Jesus is the word. You like that word play there? I like that word play. I love it. Jesus is the word. John just gets to talk about him. He gets to say his name. He gets to let people know this is who is the real Messiah is. This is who you're looking for. This is the real deal. I'm just the voice. I'm just the one that gets to proclaim. I'm, he's the news herald. He didn't write the newspaper. He's out there yelling, extra, extra, read all about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. A voice crying, claiming himself to have this task laid upon him to show people that Jesus is on his way. Guys, we are still that voice. Isaiah 40 and verse 3 is what he's referring to here. And it says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the deserts, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's what he's trying to do here. Make straight the way of the Lord. It's the idea of, of what we see now as modern road work. I mean, they can do it some, they don't do any of it fast. <laughs> Let's just say that. But they can do it a lot faster now. Right? I mean, they get to make straight roads when they want to. They can go in there with dynamite if they have to and blow holes and then fill it back in. They can do all kinds of stuff now. We understand what that looks like. These guys would have understood what that looked like. For them, it was guys out there with shovels and picks trying to make, make roadways that were straight and flat and passable. But John's, that's all John's trying to do. The baptizer here is simply trying to to remove rocks and stumbling pieces and rough edges and give some smoothness, some entryway, a clear path. Like some of y'all with your bush hogs and machinery that clear out areas you want to get to. I saw an amazing machine the other day taking down trees like it was nothing. I watched it for 25 minutes because I'm like an 8-year-old. Um, but that's all he's doing. He's identifying himself out here saying, listen, I'm just trying to clear the way for you. I want you to see that He's coming. I want you to know that He's on His way. John is, at this point, he is the door hinge. He is the transitional figure from those Old Testament prophets who are yelling about Jesus coming. He's coming! He's coming! John's like, hey, He's coming real fast. Watch this. And He's that hinge that opens that door to who Jesus is. He is, he is the the the, uh, the, the the entryway, the, the, the street that that leads to that cross. What a title. What an amazing truth about who John is. And then since Jesus was the Word, John just is speaking the Word as much as possible about who Jesus was. Verse 24 says, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked Him, Then why are you baptizing? Another question is, if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, why are you baptizing? Well, why did John baptize? It's kind of hard for us to understand sometimes. Ba baptizing? Ba Let's just be honest. Baptizing seems a little weird. I, I thought it was a kid. But we're so used to it. 
and we know that it is a command in Scripture that we, we, we buy into it and we, we love it. I love it now. But the concept is a little, where, why? Where did that come from? So why is he doing it? What is he doing for this? They wanted to ask this question because culturally, baptism would have been a Jew would baptize themselves. You didn't get baptized by somebody else. You baptized yourself. So they would have gone in anytime that they needed their, they felt like they needed just a renewal. They had a ritualized prayer and they would go baptize themselves. So that was also what they would do to any Gentile. I don't know. Jonah might have got real tired out there in Nineveh. <laughs> Hold on. You know, the only time somebody else baptized when they were a Gentile coming into Judaism to follow the one true God. So they're like, wait a minute, we're puzzled, we're confused. There's no logical explanation for why what you're doing, that you are baptizing people. But John, did you did you see what Luke told us about John the Baptist? He was already filled with the Spirit. So he understands what he's doing. He understands it. He is not giving people salvation. He is not cleansing their sins. He's preparing them for salvation. He is setting their minds up for something new. He is teaching them the newness of who Jesus is. He is he is giving them the understanding of what it will be to have true repentance and to have true forgiveness. And he's baptizing these guys to, into becoming God's people. And they This was already heresy to the Jews because they were already God's people in their minds. That we're the chosen ones. They were right, but they were sinful. And they misunderstood the Messiah. So there's confusion here and denial. And John answered them with this great riddle. In verse 26, he said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Verse 27, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So John says, I can't brag. These people, I love that they're here. I love that they're hearing me talk about Jesus coming. But it's not about me. All I'm doing is putting them underwater. And lifting them back up. I gotta focus this, shift this focus on someone else. It's not me. I baptized for Jesus. Verse 27 is a beautiful verse. And you, I just read it. And you may not see the beauty necessarily there. I mean, I know you hear what it says. So it says, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal, I'm not worthy to untie. This, this, this concept would have blown the, the Israelites' mind. Because if you had a teacher, you served them and worshipped them. But the one thing that they would never do was untie another man's sandal. Like you might come in and bathe your teacher before a <clears throat> before a meal or before a lesson. You might come in and, and serve him uh, uh, food or 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 um, whatever he needed. But you didn't touch his sandals. You didn't untie another man's sandals because that was way too low. That was too much servanthood. That was below everything else. But John says, I'm not even worthy of touching those. What beauty. What an amazing reverence for who he knows the Messiah is. He says, I'm unworthy to come close enough to do that. And he knew. He knew this was going to bring a crazy idea to these people's minds. He knew they were going to look at him funny. He says, he's such a worthy teacher. He's such a worthy God. I cannot even undo his sandals. Doesn't it make it a lot more amazing when you think of what you know Jesus did at the Last Supper when he donned a, 
a towel and a, and, a, and a pitcher and got on the floor and washed their, their feet of the, the disciples. What an amazing idea. John, this man that is sent by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, to make straight the way of God, the way of Jesus, the voice of carrying the word of God. He says, I am not worthy to touch his sandals. And yet Jesus himself does that. We've got some things we can learn here about John, about John for ourselves. The first one is that we see this. John was on a mission. And so are we. John had a clear instruction and he obeyed it in faith. He obeyed it no matter the cost. He said in verse 23, I'm the voice saying, make a way for Jesus to come through. So we have to question ourselves. Do we see ourselves in a missional task? Are we on mission for God? We should be working to clear obstacles from people coming to Jesus, but for some reason we're so good at putting things in their way. Whether it's ourselves, whether it's our expectations, whether it's our likes and our dislikes or our, our stylistic ideas, whether it's our sin. How are we hurting people from coming to Jesus? Our words? Or are you a living testimony? Can you say that I live? I may not eat locusts and honeys and wear skin off animals. But I can say that I'm clearing the way for people to know Jesus. <clears throat> can we say that? <coughs> we fail here. We can't do it perfectly. and that's We get that. I guarantee you John wasn't perfect. I'm wondering if there's a spot where he finally just said, Shut up! I answered this already. <laughs> but we have to be on mission to show you the grace and the power of Jesus clearly getting out to those. John heard it. He obeyed it. And God was faithful in that. We'll see his faithfulness in just a minute as we get to the second portion of this passage. But what are we doing? Or what are we not doing to prepare? What are we not doing to make sure people know who Jesus is? What are we not doing to make sure that, that uh, people know where we stand in our relationship with Christ? Are we kind of putting it away and hiding it most of the time? Or do we wear it available for people to see? Are we vulnerable with our beliefs? Are we scared and, and worried about the sacrifice that might have to be made? I'm sure John would have loved to have just been in the city and been normal. I'm sure at some point, heck, from a pastor's standpoint, there's some point I wish that I dug, dug rock in a quarry. I mean, it happens. I wonder how John ever felt that way. What are we not doing because of inconvenience or comfort on our lifestyle? What have we become so accustomed to having and doing that we're not willing to make the path clear for people to know Jesus? We've got to ask these questions. We've got to do it. We've got to be faithful because God will be faithful. The second thing I need to see, we need to see here about the baptizer is that he was humble as we need to be. He was humble regarding the deity of Christ. He said, I cannot untie his sandals. They walked through dirt, animal excrement, who knows what else? Everything was in the streets. 
There was no sewage system. There was no cleanliness. Now they weren't. It wasn't crazy monkeys throwing stuff at each other. I mean, there was some civility to it, but it was still dirty. And he says, I can't even do that. I can't even be that. What is our soul's disposition toward Jesus? The man upstairs. I like that. Have a leg of nice movie that sweet baby Jesus. Is that how we view him all the time? Like the homeboy down the road, like my, my buddy, my, my dude. Sometimes it's, it's okay to have that, the friend aspect of God. But where's the reverence? Do we believe so much in this big, giant God and yet stay unmoved and unchanged by Him? Do we, are we still unmoved by that relationship that he is, he is this big, giant Jesus who loves us so much that he died for us, and yet we're not changed by that? John loved him so much and understood him so much he wouldn't even he didn't feel like he could go close enough to tie his sandal. Do you struggle because of entitlement issues with Jesus? Do you think you deserve him or deserve more from him? Is it hard? Is Jesus hard for me and you because of our, our lifestyle that, that we like? Because it may change that? Because he's too big to fit in our box? Because we all have a box, let's be honest. We have a life box. It's how we like it shaped. Some of it might not be square. It might not even be a box, but we have our ideas. Mine's like an octagon. Or, I don't know. I need more size than that, even maybe. I don't know. It's bigger than that. Decagon. There we go. I know that one. I just know some math words. Um, but we have it, and we try to cram Jesus into it for ourselves. Like John. John could have gotten all kind of glory and praise here. He could have been like, yeah. I came from the Creator. I'm part of this King of Kings thing. Man, that's what happens to us as Christians sometimes. We think there's something to be prideful about in this relationship, and there's not. We have got to stay amazed and in awe of who Jesus is. If we stay amazed and we stay in awe, it is, it is that concept of the, the, whatever you think might be the greatest thing that you'd like to have in this world, and you, are, you, you fight for it, and you scratch and claw for it, and we go after it. It might have been, y- y'all know. Y'all know when you was chasing that girl, guys. Come on. Y'all know what it was like? Y'all know how you looked at, ooh, I like her. I got to fight for that. I'm going after her. I'm going to pursue it. If you're married and you've fallen out of that, now we got, you got a problem there. Ladies, same thing. Just like this, Jesus is so much bigger and so much better and so much more wonderful. He died on an ugly, terrible cross for us, and we should look at that with such beauty and love. We should be chasing Jesus and fighting and crawling our way to be held in awe of Him at all times because of how great and glorious He really is. I love my wife. But baby, Jesus got you beat. This is how we've got to believe that way. We've got to live that way. And here's what happens. Because of John's his faithfulness, we get to verse 29 through 35 here. He gets to know Jesus. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, there's my homeboy. No, 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 no. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A title today, the baptizer and the Lamb. Not a Lamb. The Jews understood what he meant here. 
the Jewish people understood when he said the lamb. He wasn't saying bring your best. He wasn't saying go get one out of the field so we can have a sacrifice. He was saying this is it. He's saying, do you guys remember when Isaac looked at Abraham and said, Daddy, where's the lamb? John goes, right there. That's him. That's him. That's the lamb. He's the one. He's the end all be all. He is the lamb. He's not just the lamb that's a sacrifice. He's the lamb of, of God. He is sent by God to represent God because He's part of God and He is sent to take away the sins of the world. To take away. To carry it as far away as you possibly can. To dispose of it. Never to be brought back again. To wipe it away clean forever. That's what He shouted when He looked at those Jews and said, that's Him right there. That's what He said. John here is pointing us to the Lamb who's led to the slaughter. We see this again in Isaiah 53. Verse 1 through 7 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that, took, that, that, that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one of whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and he was, and they esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. I can promise you those Levites that were out there, those Pharisees that were out there, they knew that passage of Scripture. I promise you they knew that passage of Scripture. They knew that passage of Scripture like they knew no other. He says, there he is. That's the lamb Isaiah told us about. He wanted these people to know that he wasn't Jesus, but that this man, Jesus, was the lamb, the perfect substitute needed to atone for our sin, not just Israel, but every tongue, every tribe, every nation, everywhere. He was the whole world's lamb. Verse 30 says, this is he whom I said after me, comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. The reemphasis of the early part of this chapter where he is telling about Jesus' preeminence to this world. Going back to the fact that he was in the beginning. Verse 31 says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John knew Jesus as a man. They were cousins. John knew Jesus. He did not know that Jesus was the Lamb. He knew what he had been taught. He knew what he was looking at. He knew the stories. He knew the, the prophets. He knew what God had laid on his heart to say. But he did not know that it was Jesus until a divine revelation of the Spirit, which 
has been always interpreted like a dove. Literally. He says, the reason I came baptizing with water is to point people to the Messiah. So right here. I love it. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. This wasn't a literal dove. This is John's interpretation of dove. Okay. Um, he's describing what he saw the best he could. It's much like in, in, um, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says it refers to the Spirit hovering above the creation. Um, it's the same idea here. Um, you know, a dove, it sits on flaps its little fast wings. That's that look. So that's where the dove motif comes from. But this isn't this isn't um, this isn't written in this section as a narrative. It's not a story being told in succession. So when Jesus came, he knew that that was at that point. He had at some point before that he had seen that this happened to Jesus. God had revealed to him at some point that this who Jesus was, and that's why he says in, in it that that this is whom I bore witness. I saw it. I saw the Spirit descend. This this is very much in the Greek, very very much a a, a, a he's he's referring to a past event here with this. It's not at the at the same time. So when he sees Jesus coming to be baptized, he's probably blown away. It's probably mind blown that Jesus is coming to him. He says, "I'm the one trying to make this ready for him, and he wants me to be a part of his beginning of his ministry." Wow. Well, you know what I love about this? Is this wasn't a one-time thing that John saw when he saw Jesus. And I don't think that every time he saw Jesus, he saw the Spirit fluttering, okay? But he understood that the Spirit remained with Jesus. That this is a divine appointment. This is who it is. I think that's really special for us, guys. Because later Jesus says, I'll send my spirit to stay with you always. That's really awesome stuff. Clearly John knew that this man, Jesus, was introducing a new messianic prophesied era of grace that was coming from him. Because he is the man that is the lamb. That is Jesus. Verse 33 says, I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is me. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He who sent me. Shorthand for God the Father. Jesus is the, the bearer and the dispenser, the giver, the free life giver of the Spirit into us. John said earlier, I baptize with water. One is coming that baptizes with spirit. That's amazing. It's amazing to know that the spirit of God also, 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 let's just get this cleared up. We've already talked about baptism before last year. And so this also teaches us that the water back here, when we fill it up and baptize, to fill them with the spirit. The Spirit was on Jesus before he got baptized. When someone gives their life to Christ, the Spirit is already on them and in them. And because once we give our life to Christ, we are baptized with the Spirit. 
Verse 34, it says, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Have you seen him? Do you know him? Are you willing to testify of who this chosen one of God is that you know this Son of God? John, the writer, John the Apostle, the writer of the book, not John the Baptizer, John the writer here, sees Jesus as the Lamb of God. It's one of the key phrases throughout the book. He refer, he's referring back to that passage in Isaiah. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He places the, the baptizer's reference into a wider passion narrative based out of the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover lamb out of Exodus 12, where Israel is in captivity. And they're instructed during this time of, the, of torment for the Egyptians it, that, G, that God has sent Moses to get them out of slavery. And they've had these, these plagues that have been going on, and finally God says, Moses, let them know, I'm sending the death angel. He doesn't want he wants to play these games. I gotta get ugly with it. And he instructs the Israelites to slaughter a lamb and paint the doorpost of your home. So when the death angel goes over, he sees that and he moves on. That's the Lamb of God here. He's, he's releasing the Israelites from Pharaoh so many years ago from their necessity for this continual sacrificial system to have a real spirit of God baptized upon them. This is an amazing truth for us today. And this is what John sees as Christ's mission, to give himself an unblemished, perfect sacrifice whose blood would save and protect, and be the propitiation, be the substitutionary atonement, be the perfect ransom for our nasty, dirty lives and our sins. They said, this is him, folks. God's chosen people. He's coming. This is him. Your wrath and judgment of God is going to hit us if you don't have him. This is the new sacrificial system. It's the chosen one of God. So who do we say that he is? John the writer says he's the Lamb of God. Who is he in our lives? If he's not the Lamb of God in your life yet, that's the first step. But what's amazing is, if he doesn't remain the Lamb of God, and that's how we lose the awe, and the love, and the amazement, and the willingness to be uncomfortable, and the willingness to fight to tell others about Jesus, the willingness to claw and clear a path, no matter how hard it is, so that someone else may see Jesus in your life, in your words, in the world, however it is that they're going to see him. If we are not clearing paths for that, then they're going to be huge. There are already, let's just be honest, there are already huge repercussions, implications to this decision to not make Jesus who he really is, to not hold him up on that pedestal in front of people and live our lives as if we are chasing him, climbing to be in awe of him. John the baptizer with a weirdo out in the wood, out in the wilderness. People want to say wood this morning. Out in the wilderness. It ate locust and honey, and who knows, it might taste awesome. But he didn't dress like the rest of them. He didn't look like the rest of them. He didn't talk like the rest of them. He said, no, 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 no. Don't bring me your, don't bring me your ideas. Don't, don't bring any of this stuff on me. He goes, because here's the reason. I already know what I'm doing. 
I already know my instructions. I've got a, I've got a God-given drive that I've got to, to chase. I, I'm on the path. I'm on this track that I've got to follow. And I've got to make it ready for other people to follow it because I know this is God's mission for me. Christians, that is our mission today. Do we still see Jesus as a gift? Like John 3.16 tells us that He is the, the gift of God's only Son. And it says, whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. But listen, don't forget that for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Do we still believe in that Jesus? Or is He just the Jesus who did that for us and now we just pray to Him for things we need and want? Is He still this Jesus that we think others need to know? John the baptizer. John the Baptist. He never stopped clearing the way for Jesus. He had the honor of baptizing Jesus to, to, to start his, his ministry, his, his time of really getting to work for the, for the kingdom. And you'd have thought, wow, that's a climax. He got there. Everything from then must have been downhill. No, because he never lost the awe. It reminds me of the book of Revelation where the church at Laodicea is called lukewarm because they've lost their all. Is this kind of setting? I don't think any of this like to drink lukewarm coffee, tea, even water. That's good. I'll have a lukewarm steak today. Not that great. Neither is lukewarm turkey. Let's be more like John the Baptist. Let's clear ways for people to know Jesus. Let's fight for that to be true. 